right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. Uh, I'm Jason Friesma, Chief Clinical Officer of Peaks Recovery Centers here in Colorado Springs and also location in Denver. Um, joining me is my co-host and uh, CEO of Peaks Recovery, Brandon Burns. Um, and we have a very special guest today who I'm really excited to introduce, Megan Buchanan. Um, she is an aerospace engineer, an adventure athlete, and a motivational speaker. Um, and, uh, but her largest claim to fame is she was the 1992 class or school student body president of Woodland Park High School where I attended. Um, so that's a really big deal. Go Panthers, right. Um, <laughs> I think they won no football games the entire time we were in high school, if I remember right, but uh, we tried really hard. Anyway, uh, Megan, I, I do want to welcome you uh, to Finding Peaks, and I really uh, want to publicly thank you for taking your time to join us today um, on uh, this episode to kind of talk about you and your life and, and your many adventures. Thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity, and it's lovely to see you again. And yes, we did have the most consecutive losses, but I just went to homecoming, and apparently the Willem Park Panthers are winners now. So yeah. good, good well, to see that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. So um, you've, you've created kind of a, a company and a, and a movement or something uh, called GRIT, um, and it comes from uh, your experiences as... Uh, well, just growing up and having to overcome um, some learning uh, disabilities. And I was wondering if you'd take a minute and kind of talk about that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, um, yeah, I actually was diagnosed with dyslexia, um, luckily, when I was seven years old. And especially back then, there wasn't a lot known about it. And we still have so many people that aren't diagnosed and, and, even when you are diagnosed and you know what's going on with yourself, it's still a very, very challenging time as a child, a young adult and into adulthood. Um, but I had parents that knew I was smart and there was something wrong. I, I couldn't quite spell. We we went and got me tested and we're so sorry, Miss Buchanan, your, your daughter's dyslexic. She won't achieve much academically. And my parents were like, uh, forget that. My, my father was a Rhodes Scholar at MIT. My entire family was very cerebral, very, very smart. So they knew that that wasn't the answer for me. And so my mom sat me down and just said, you know, sweetheart, you can be anything you want to be. You are just going to have to work harder than everyone else. And that starts today in this house. So I didn't know any different. I just knew that I had to work hard for what I wanted. And my dad was in aerospace. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. I love space, um, but it was a challenge. But I set the goal and, um, you know, elementary school, high school wasn't as difficult for me because I could just listen and absorb and got great grades. When I went to college, it was a whole different thing. I could not keep up with the reading and it was a struggle. Um, I'd like to talk to and, and share with people now. I mean, I did, I had to take calculus too, like three times. And, <laughs> and if you want something, you dedicate, you get back up and you try it again. Yeah. You fail, you get back up, you try it again and you don't give up. And to me, getting through engineering school and becoming an aerospace engineer really came from that drive. I learned very, very young, um, from having dyslexia. And not, and, and I felt I didn't have a choice, but of course you have a choice 
to me, I didn't have a choice but to dig in and keep going. And so as I grew older, um, I always found myself in the outdoors, even as a child, that was my release. That's where I felt naturally good at something. That's where I could be myself. That is where I wasn't ashamed of myself. And so that outdoors um, component really kind of went hand in hand. And so as I I started hiking and doing more and getting into these mountains, I I, I was thinking back of where did I get this crazy insatiable drive to keep climbing more and more mountains? And and I trace it all the way back to being that young child, um, you know, diagnosed with a learning disability, I called a learning difference, and really becoming a part of who I am to take on the next challenge. And so I, I did find myself um, going for the bigger mountains and bigger mountains until, you know, I just um, summited Everest on May 12th. And I held a nice little sign at the top that said dyslexia gave me grit. And that grit is two G's. It's gratitude, growth, resilience, integrity, and tenacity. And to me, I have found those five things got me through dyslexia, got me through engineering, got me, you know, through being a female in engineering, got me through injuries, got me up a mountain. And I I truly believe in what I talk to people now is using those five components, those tools of grit to get through any challenge in their life. And now I'll be quiet a minute. Did you have any? Well, yeah, I was. I, you know, I, I love the concept of grit, and I uh, certainly love uh, uh, the the energy behind it and where the momentum of this uh, podcast is going. But I was curious, you know, kind of going back to, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to complete something like the calculus series. I landed on philosophy, not aerospace engineering, but. You know, I remember just, you know, uh, my own personal grind and going through calculus as a series and that sort of thing. But, you know, before you knew grit as a philosophy, what were some of those more foundational uh, building blocks for you before you could, you know, give grit to the world? You know, going into that, you know, uh, integral calculus course, uh, what, what kind of sets you up not to be defeated within that moment prior to the recognition that maybe grit is the real thing happening here? Uh, that's an excellent question. And and I attribute that to my parents. Um, I am so grateful to have had two parents that saw my potential and would not allow me to give up on myself. And they were that voice for me and helped me build my confidence, but then taught me to be that voice for myself until I could take that on. And so, you know, through school, there's probably a lot of crying and frustration. And again, you know, you think about it too, for, for anyone with a challenge when they're really young, how lucky I was to have two parents that supported me, yet I still felt so much shame and and I felt stupid and I felt hopeless at times. So you think about kids who don't have that support structure, how overwhelming that is for them. And you do have to learn to be that voice for yourself. And a lot of it, this term, fake it till you make it, I think that's really kind of once I left high school and was on my own, I still didn't fully feel, I did not feel um, uh, super confident, but I had this mindset, I'm just going to pretend I do, I'm going to fake it till I make it until that 
push becomes a pull and then you're pulling yourself through it. And so it is that mindset. I think my parents taught me of always looking forward and always taking another step forward if it is something you want. And they also taught me to reevaluate just because it's a goal. At some point we change, we grow. Are you doing it just out of stubbornness or ego? Do you still want it? And if you want it, then make change to make it happen and keep moving forward, get back up. And just that enough helped me take it to the next levels. And then as an adult, the more I started working, oh my gosh, my first job, I was like, I will never make it as an engineer. I'm still not smart enough. I can't believe I got my degree. That's the mindset you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. But as Mm -hmm. the years went on and I worked, I was like, is it just, it's a lot of imposter syndrome. I think we all have too. I'm like, am I, I, apparently I did good. I got I got a really good score this year. What's happening? And so I finally realized I'm good at what I do. <laughs> and so and that's where and then when I, I started um, you know, climbing more and people just started asking more, like, man, you have such grit, you really stick to something. I just started thinking, I'm like, what why is it? Why do I do that? <laughs> and then I traced it back and 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 a lot of it's to to luckily the amazing parents that I had. Yeah, I, I appreciate that and that shared experience. And for passing the mic back, you know, to Jason, I, I know we've talked about it on this episode, and I think it comes up for a lot of people in this world. Um, and I think you've brought it forward beautifully. It's not so much the destination. It's okay to have the destination out there, but along the way, the journey is the most valuable part. And it's going to have all these ups and downs and components uh, with it. The, the important thing that I take away from what you're sharing with us is to not get defeated, right? To pick the, you know, oneself back up and to experience that pull forward rather than, and, and recognize um, out of that our own empowerment within this and our capabilities uh, that we have to actually nurture something like that. And I also love for, you know, in working in a substance use disorder space and a mental health, you know, space in that regard, the, the uh, um, man, I'm trailing off here. I'm forgetting where I was going to take this, but um, overall just, Uh, I think it's important for people to hear who feel like I cannot possibly get out of this moment that I'm in uh, to hear that uh, there are possibilities and that we own that power, I think, collectively as individuals. And that's where I was going with it. Appreciate the viewers being patient with me. Having a family system in the background to support and nurture a child who's going through these struggles, and that's such a beautiful part of your story, to hear the parents really operating in the background, you know, just being coaches and support systems while you're going through these challenging times and through that process of discovery. Oh my gosh. And what you're saying just made me cue in on too. Uh, So much of grit is personal ownership. It is, it is the biggest part of it to understand how much power and choice you actually have in life. And, and we all get bogged down with, well, I can't, it's not my fault or I have to do that. You don't have to do anything like you have once you take ownership of what is happening, even the the challenges, the horrendous things. I am about turning your narrative around and taking ownership of it. This life is hard. It is constantly throwing you stuff. And so instead of instead of wasting your energy on, I can't believe this happened. Why did it happen to me? I don't forget it. It's happened. It's in the past. This is life. It is constantly throwing things at you. Take your energy into this has happened. What am I going to do about it now? And and I always tell people, even just getting back up, you have to sit back down. That was a step. 
get back up, take one step forward. And that owning what is happening to you and deciding that you are going to take control of it is so powerful. And we're skipping way ahead here. But I have to tell you, one of the most amazing moments I had while actually climbing Everest was it was around the the Hillary step and the sun was just like it was just starting to break. And you are literally at the height that planes fly and to the microscopic level of every single second, I was making the choice to keep moving forward. I like it was this profound moment of at any point I could 100 percent turn around. I had the choice and every movement I made was a choice I was making to move forward. And it really I mean, I think it relays so well to life of every tiny step you make. You do have the power in that. And sometimes that power isn't asking for help. Sometimes that power is I'm deciding I'm just going to stay right where I am until I catch my breath. But it but it is truly an analogy of how we own every second in our life or we could choose to own it. Yeah. Jason, that, that warms my existential philosophical heart. So thank you for that feedback. Absolutely. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Yeah, that, I mean, I, Megan, I'm already feeling motivated uh, just sitting here uh, a little bit. And we didn't get a chance to talk before the show, but um, my wife is actually a teacher for kids with dyslexia. Like she has a master's degree to teach specifically kids with dyslexia. And uh, both my kids have struggled with it as well. And... Um, and then sitting in this field, uh, you know, we, we kind of are going through a transformation as well as kind of a company. And I think as a whole um, industry and looking at addiction as just a broader piece of the or as a part of the wider envelope of all mental health. And it's all just kind of suffering. And, you know, when you're talking about uh, in second grade being di diagnosed with dyslexia, um, there's a lot. Of, that's a hard thing for a little kid this tall to kind of walk through and experience and, and the shame. Um, I, I, I've sat with so many clients who call themselves stupid still or, or call themselves you know much worse things than that and, and really become defeated and have trouble kind of showing up for themselves like that. And I, and I do wonder um, if you could maybe share a little bit of like before your diagnosis, that seems like it was freeing, even though for a second grader, that's probably difficult to understand, but how did how did you like I, I want you to talk specifically about overcoming those that shame, those those really negatives, that negative self-talk that came with that. Yeah, actually, oh my gosh, I have goosebumps. Um, the story of how we found out is actually, <laughs> I think back about it as an adult, and I'm like, man, that was messed up. But but it didn't. For some reason, it was just something that happened. But you know, in second grades, when we really start spelling. And, and that's when you go through an elementary school and the teachers have you stand up and spell. And I actually started reading at age three with my family. I have an older brother and a younger sister, but they are not affected by dyslexia. And so one of us was the, the odd one out. And um, <laughs> I would, I remember I would try, my mom would work with me to spell and I, I, we'd work on it and work on it. And the teacher would ask me to stand up and spell and I'd get it wrong. Unfortunately, the teacher I had, his name was Mr. Wolf. I kid you not. Um, he was not a good man. And he did not like me uh, because I would, I would not sit on his lap to go over grades. 
and it was very, very quiet, but my mom oh, always taught me. Don't he's not a good man. I agree. Oh, he was yeah, not a good man. Yeah, so he did not like me. And he actually started berating me and emotionally abusing me in front of the closet, verbally abusing me. He would call me idiot, stupid, retarded. He would sit me in the corner, right? Messed up. I had, uh, so I stopped reading. I refused to read. And then my mom was like, what is going on? And so she took me to the specialist and I was tested and that's where they, they figured it out. Uh, later, that bad man was arrested for other charges. Um, but luckily, I mean, I was verbally abused only. Uh, but that is how we discovered. And so you th- I was absolutely verbally abused for quite a while by him. And those voices are very hard to get out of your head. I will always have that in the back of my head, just talking about it, like my heart literally hurts right now because the pain is real. Like it will never go away. It's who we are, but you learn to be your voice back. And the minute, you know, and, and it takes time over the years, but I'm so quick. Anytime those negative voices come in, my grit voice yells back like, nope, sorry, we're doing it anyway. You know, you you have to practice throughout your life to quiet those negative voices. And you think about how you talk to yourself. Would you talk to someone you love like that? No. So why are you talking to yourself like that? And that's part of that awareness you need to have to start stopping yourself and replacing those words with the words of encouragement. And you've got to do that for yourself. Yeah, I'm, you know, for me, I just want to honor, <laughs> I just want to honor, you know, that those statements that um, there's just so much power in, on that side of empowerment and also as well too, you know, what we're constantly sharing with individuals that come into our treatment center, the family systems and so forth is that, um, that there is a path forward and healing is possible. And uh, I just think it's courageous to have another voice out there in the world who's, stating that these things are going to be difficult and that these things are going to be problematic and we're going to run into issues all along the way and fear and all these things will arise but you know at the end of the day um, we have the internal personal power and it's not a straightforward linear path in that regard that it has these peaks and valleys to be consistent with the mountain themes of today as well too uh, along the way and to expect those things as well too and to know that life is hard today and it might be great for the next seven days but on day eight something's going to be thrown at us and how we uh, are positioned in receiving that is um, just as important as you know the end goal right in that regard yeah like this this life is a this life is a long duration expedition it is and you're right there there's amazing highs and lows And I think, and we kind of, you know, especially for young people now, we live in a world where everything's at our fingertips and and so easy to access and you get frustrated if things don't happen quickly. I think it's important to set expectations with yourself from the beginning. And again, just like you said, you need to understand that this is a life practice. It is a commitment, Um, you know, climbing an 8,000 meter peak of Everest, you know, it takes six to eight weeks to climb because you are going through rotations. You're conditioning yourself. If, if you think you're gonna climb it in two weeks, of course you're gonna disappoint yourself, but you need like all the work that you've, you've taken to build up your skills and build up your resistance so that you are 
in a place that you can can endure that long duration challenge. And I kind of see our life leading up to where we are is all that conditioning. It is a journey. And, you know, I, I thought too, I, I work a full-time job, but then there's all the training for Everest and I'm trying to do grit and help others realize this on the side. So I'm, I'm so busy all the time. And I thought once I summit Everest, oh my gosh, I'm going to feel so much more relaxed. I'm going to have a little more free time. I got back and it didn't happen. I, I felt no relief. I, and then I got a little depressed over it. I was like, oh my God, like if I'm not happy that I did that, like what am I doing? And I had to do a lot of soul searching. But the thing that I really realized, going back to what you were saying earlier, because I'm not about the summit. I'm about the journey because I've figured out. Yeah, yeah like, like I love the growth and learning about myself and challenging myself. So just hitting that one high, that that isn't enough. Like I love the journey and where it takes me. And once I realized that, then I felt more relaxed. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get where I'm at and I'll keep moving forward. Yeah, at Mount Everest in that regard, right? is just a peak along a journey of many peaks, right? Yeah, it is. So that's... That's and beautiful. that was beautiful. I love, yeah. Like, that was, I, <laughs> I'm asking questions. She's doing all the work. This is great. I'm, I'm just trying to pass on my lesson so that you don't actually have to climb Everest. <laughs> you got to figure out what your, everyone's got to figure out what their own Everest is. <laughs> Mine was Absolutely. a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yours is the literal Everest. The literal Everest. Yeah. Yes, the literal one. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I, did, I did want you to kind of break down just quickly kind of each of the elements of grit um and and what really stands out to me um is the gratitude one if I, like they all are really important but um at peaks we start a lot of our meetings with people going around and sharing their gratitudes um and and really having gratitude is the solution for a lot of different things it can help stop rumination uh if you can't get these negative thoughts that you're talking about out of your head um, if you can take a moment and find some things you're grateful for, or if you're laying in bed at night and you can't fall asleep, it's great to sit and think of things you're grateful for until you fall asleep. It, it's pretty remarkable uh, as a tool. But I, I would love for you to kind of break down uh, kind of your five elements of grid and, and how you came to those. And I love what you said because it's exactly right. There's a reason gratitude is first in grit, and it's my base camp because just like you said, it, you, I, you, you can be in the most dire of situations. And if you can find one thing you're grateful for, that sets your intention and your spiral up. And when you can hold on, when you have nothing else to hold on to, if you can hold on for what you are grateful for at that very, very moment, that really gets you through the night. And, and that has been Oh my gosh, see, I tear up again. Oh, I mean, that that has been my foundation is those moments where, you know, any of it, the the as being a kid trying to get through or engineering school when I was on academic probation for just thinking like, I'm, I'm such an idiot. Why am I doing this? You know, I, I'll never make it. And then focusing myself back on, I am grateful to be loved. I am grateful to be smart. I can do another, I can do this. You know, as you just hold on to where you're at. 
And for anyone, the negativity, if you start to think of the great, the things you're grateful for, it helps spin your thoughts into positivity. So the next step then is growth. And for us, for us to change, we have to be willing to grow. Um, for us to find our full potential, we need to change and grow. Growth hurts. <laughs> you have oh. to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to maybe feel like an idiot sometimes when you're doing something new. And that's that pain of growth. But I guarantee when you put in the work, you come out of it a different person than when you started. There is one day you wake up and whatever you're trying doesn't hurt anymore because you've gotten better. You have to be willing to grow and and withstand the pain of growth to take yourself to the next level or reach your full potential. So then resilience is the next one. And in order for you to be able to get through growth or struggle, you need to build up your resilience and, and be willing to keep marching forward. And I'll talk about tenacity in a minute, but they are different. Resilience is that ability to withstand what hurts, what challenges you and keep going. And I think that's you need to you need to build up that that resilience and that resistance within yourself. And that is a practice over time and you get better and better and stronger and stronger. And every time I see a new challenge now, uh, my first thoughts are like, all right, this is going to hurt, but I can't wait to meet me on the other side of it because you do get better and you actually look for challenge. So resilience and being able to withstand that struggle is very important and you can get better and better at it. Out of all of this, I put integrity in there because that's something I was raised on and that's really important to me. You think of integrity as like, oh, being honest with others. You need to be honest with yourself. And I, I think mm -hmm. that find, taking that ownership and accountability is extremely important to take yourself to the next level and where you want to be in life. Um, and I think holding others accountable, um, standing up for others and being impeccable with your word. And again, that's to others and being true to yourself um, really has held myself, my feet to the fire. Um, I, I find myself many times, especially with a learning disability, maybe wanting to make excuses. Um, and when you hold yourself accountable, it allows you to focus your energy on actually solutions and not the problem. And then the last one to wrap it up is tenacity, where all of this cannot be done if you don't have that fire in your belly and that willingness and that drive to take yourself through all of this. And so being tenacious, having positivity, also that you can fake it till you make it if you have to sometimes to get you through. But you find that when you share your tenacity and energy with others, they give it right back. And every time I talk to a group, they literally end up inspiring me right back. And it feels, I mean, I get, I get two times back what I gave. Mm. And those to me are the tools to really, I mean, bring you to that next level and reach your full potential as a human being. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really appreciate it. It's interesting. You know, when I was going through your grit concepts um, uh, in preparation for this, uh, the integrity one, um, it was the one that I'm like, okay, that's a curious one for that. Cause it, but I think it's a, such a powerful thing. 
And I think it's, I think there's an engineering component to integrity too, because it means wholeness, right? Or oneness. Like there's not, like it's, there aren't a crack. There isn't a, there isn't a hole anywhere because that, if the, if a piece or a part lacks integrity, the integrity of the whole structure or whatever is, is in jeopardy. And I, I think that's a powerful piece of that uh, great concept actually. And it's a good vowel to put into, uh, you know, something in the grid. I, I needed a vowel for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, um, no, no, you're right. You're right. And it does, um, you know, and it, again, I think a big part of it is for how we hold ourselves accountable. And, and you know, and especially with co- recovery too, if you, <laughs> if you can't really be honest with yourself and call yourself out, you know, you're you're gonna slip into excuses. You're gonna you're gonna slip into shortcuts, and in the long run, that doesn't get you there. You have to put in the work, and you have to be honest with yourself. And when you're honest with yourself, then you actually start to learn to accept yourself, and then you're honest with others because you aren't ashamed anymore. Um, you aren't embarrassed. You aren't trying to embellish. Um, you know, I think from having a learning disability, I was always a storyteller. I probably embellished things a little bit growing up and maybe instead of three or four, there are five or six or whatever it was because I I never felt good enough. And as I got older and older, it's been a work in progress. And I've I've got really the four agreements, be impeccable with your word. That was really important to me. Yeah. And so it was a daily practice of like, don't exaggerate. Let's just call it how it is and you get better and better. But you still work on it as an adult. And it was on, I I finished Everest this year, but I was on it last year for seven weeks. We were about to go for summit bid and all of our Sherpa got COVID. So after a a year, two years of training on the mountain, seven weeks, all the money, all the time, expedition done. We had to go back home. So I had to come back and train again and go. But when I was there, I remember I was so exhausted. My body was just... Uh, like just deteriorating from being at that high altitude for so long. I couldn't keep weight on. I was so weak. And I was considering doing Everest and Lhotse, which is right next to it. It's going to be more money, but other people were doing it. And well, I should do that because if I don't, it wouldn't be as good. And it was that moment I caught myself and I was like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, so seriously, Megan? And, And I, yeah, I was having this talk out loud with myself. I'm like, seriously, climbing Everest, is that's not good enough. You're not good enough. And I'm like, you need to get your crap together. You are not climbing Lhotse. You're good enough. And and I, mm-hmm. at that moment, I'm 48 now, at 47, I was finally, the last piece of my life, fully good enough for myself. And 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 I've been living this amazing journey and working on this for so long but that was the final piece at 47. So everything I'm sharing, it doesn't happen overnight and everyone's journey and experience is different. But those, all those scars as a little kid with dyslexia, I, I mean, it is an amazing moment. I finally, I'm finally free to fully love myself, which is an amazing feeling, but it's been a lot of work and I'm grateful for every moment of it to get to this point. I went on a tangent there, yeah. sorry. 
No, it's no, a, it, a, 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 it's com riveting. a completely beautiful tangent, and it reminds me of, of our race this weekend, Jason. Uh, I'm doing the marathon. Jason's doing the half marathon, both uh, equally challenging events here, yeah, in, in Breckenridge, Colorado. And, you know, the thing that comes up for me in just hearing that story, I was getting a little misty in my own eyes here as well, too, because it's so inspiring to think, like, what has held this together for me? So as I get closer to the marathon, as you know, you know, in these tougher races, you taper down at the end. and that's like the hardest thing to do. And then when you're in that taper mode and reflection period, for me, I'm just watching all these fascinating, you know, marathon athletes in the world do all these incredible things. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna do this in three hours and 30 minutes. And I watch all these videos. I'm like, how do I break three hours? I can't, I'm in this taper mode, right? And, and out of that, it, it forms like a defeatedness attitude. I wanna be somewhere else than where I'm currently at. And what's been beautiful in the taper process is, you know, just taking a light two mile run for nine and a half minute miles, you know, something that would have been painful to even think about doing in the actual running parts of it. But it, it, your journey and what you've stated here recently is helping me see that the thing I was actually falling back on was gratitude. How nice is it to reflect on a two mile run where I was doing 15, 18 mile runs, you know, a couple of weeks prior to think, for the first time, because I was training so hard, I wasn't fully present. I recognize in those moments, like the resilience I've gained and the growth that I've gained, that I can now go up this hill that three months ago would have just kicked my butt. And here I'm in, in this moment, not, not breathing hard, my heart rate's lowered, and it's actually really nice. And what a joy and what a blessing to be in a moment like that, where the foundation of all of this, the thing that I can fall back on, that you found, fall back on, that our viewers can fall back on and hold to is that strong foundation are those moments of gratitude. And then out of that, I get this beautiful experience of this whole race is just about joy. It's just about being out there and having a good time and committing to it as a project, certainly, but in the same way, uh, moving through it, not as an end goal to what's next, but for me, it's like, what's on the other side of that and where can I keep going? So I just wanted to share that sort of, you know, pre-marathon story with you because it, it is generating, you know, some, some mistiness on my part within my tears, but I think, you know, out of that, the symbolism of grit and what you've brought forward is extraordinarily powerful and such a, a beautiful way to see one's journey in life. You, like you, that's the thing that I, you know, especially when you're, uh, I think uh, recovery, um, learning disabilities, anything we're going through, we we do tend to also, I, I'm driven, but a lot of times I used to, I used to bulldoze too. Like, I'm like, I will make this happen. And you're almost in this fight <laughs> mode for so long. And the thing that I had to realize to, to, to now, you know, getting older and really all this coming together for me is how important it is for our actual recovery. When you're training for something, your recovery. I never did that when I was young. There's no recovery. There's no time for recovery. As I get right. older, literally my body needs recovery. You like life and any challenge you have, you need to take those moments to look back at how far you've come and love yourself, appreciate yourself. Um, going back to the analogy of like, now I have to stretch more, more physical therapy to keep my body in tune to recover after climb so I can go do my next thing. But really for our life and our emotional health, we need to appreciate and understand how far we've come. Because when it's just one step at a time, you just look back the last step, that's all you see. But when you're standing on top of a mountain and you can see the earth bend, then you're like, holy crap, I have come a long way. So I just think for everyone, you need to give yourself those moments too, to 
pat yourself on the back, appreciate how much work you've done and how far you've gone before you go back into driven mode and get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, Megan, I, I, your story on Everest too of when you made the determination that you were enough, like to me, like Everest feels like a side part of the conversation. Like, it's awesome you made it. I love your sign on the top. It's so cool. Um, but to have that moment, probably not at the summit, where you're like, I don't have to do Lotsi to be enough. Um, that feels uh, that feels very powerful to me. So it. Oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> no, please, please respond. I was just gonna say no. It it was it was. Um, oh man! And I had this great picture I shared. A, a friend was coming into the tent, and I was literally like this down in the tent, like crying. I've got a picture mm -hmm. of it. it. Was this moment where? Yeah, I just had this emotional break. And it was actually a day later when everything was canceled. I was about to go up for summit. And when they told me that our expedition's canceled, everyone's ordered off the mountain, you're done this year. I instantly just pivoted to like, well, that sucks. I just need to come climb it next year. Cause honestly, the, the breakthrough I had had for myself the day before it was worth every dollar, every moment on that hill. It was a cathartic, beautiful moment for myself. And it meant so much. And so when I trained a whole nother year and I just went back, it was a whole different experience. And I was lighter and I was ready. And it was almost like that mountain, the, the, the weather was amazing. That mountain was like, no this is your year, you're ready. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it was it was a wonderful, amazing moment. And that inspired me even more to be able to share my experiences with people. Um, again, that, you know, to realize that about themselves and, and understand how it is, how important it is to truly accept and love yourself. And it takes work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lo loving yourself or others, it's a verb. It's like a, you have to kind of do it. It's not just a feeling, like it takes action. It's a, it's a verb. Um, so if we could kind of pivot in our, in our remaining time a little bit, like, so now you adventure. You, you are climbing the seven summits, the tallest point in every continent, and going to the poles, north and south. I think skiing the last degree, which to my understanding is the last degree of longitude, latitude, right? Longitude, latitude. Yeah, okay. So, um, I, honestly, I kind of like I'm kind of skipping maybe to my next question, but like, what comes after this? And, and that skips to my like, your purpose and meaning in, in all of that. Like, I, but like, you have, you've been so driven and you have this goal and you've overcome so much um, to get to this goal. How, what comes next? Like, it's, the end is within sight. Um, again, so and that what this circles back to is me realizing that it isn't about that summit. It's about the journey for me. So there's always something next. There will always be something next. And that's mm. kind of comforting as well. So um, I am I will finish the seventh summit um, early December. And then I will go and complete the Explorers Grand Slam with the North Pole, which only 12 women have ever done. I think there's a whole bunch of us ladies getting queued up for the North Pole this year because they've been closed. <laughs> That'll be in the spring. 
And Mm. the beautiful thing out of all of this is I have grit now and I'm working really hard to, as a dyslexic, write a book that is scarier than Everest to me, but really start, um, I do a lot of lecturing and helping to share these tools with everyone, you know, elementary all the way to companies and helping them find purpose and finding that grit in career or life. And so grit, I hope to actually become an amazing next step. But I'll tell you, um, and, and, and this year too, it was funny. I was just talking with a friend. I'm like, yeah, we should probably, we should go to, we should do K2. And a year ago I would, I, no, I will never do K2. Now I'm like, we should go do K2. But again, I'm like, Megan, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have, you're, it's enough. You're, and that's the one my mom said, please, yeah. please don't do K2. Um, but I can't say I won't do it. But, you know, so I, I am looking, there's plenty of fun stuff to go climb. Like, how about go to Europe? How about a little more in South America? I don't need to do 8,000 meters. So it is a pa- about part of that, that ramp down period, right? I need to be making smart decisions for me and where I want my life to go, not driven by ego, which is very hard. I think when you are in this world, as it is always, what's the next thing and what's what's the bigger thing? You've also got to be really smart. I mean, the world just lost Hillary Nelson um, yeah. uh, last mm-hmm. week, which was devastating. And so devastating. She's, she's amazing, such an icon, such an inspiration to so many women. And so I think also we we need to think about what is the end game and then plan according to that. So I definitely have several things on my list as far as adventuring that I would like to go do. And I think I'm gonna focus on those. And and around grit, I actually think about taking, starting like grit tours and taking people to trek to Everest Base Camp and learn a lot of these tools and actually just get to base camp, which is 17,500 feet or doing Aconcagua Base Camp, but doing more outdoor adventures to help other people unlock, you know, that passion, that drive um, from within themselves and teach them how to use grit. Well, I think, it, you know, it's interesting. We kind of as a, as a recovery program, as a behavioral health company, um, as we help people kind of overcome addiction, depression, uh, manage their symptoms of bipolar, whatever it is we're trying to do, always kind of on the back end of that we we are talking as an organization and we are always looking for ways to help provide our clients with that purpose and meaning like early in my career (laughs) i remember i was doing a group and i i was talking about how like okay with the removal of your addiction like your life is this beautiful blank slate now you can paint on it whatever you would like and honestly that that created more fear like i was excited i thought hey you have this opportunity for all this meaning and actually is the scariest part of, of a recovery journey is like, okay, so if I don't have my favorite coping mechanisms or if I now have the energy to get out of bed in the morning, what do I do? <laughs> how do I find purpose and meaning and how do I make this, um, how do I ascribe meaning to my life, I guess? How do I author meaning? And, and I think it's what I love about you and your story too of like, it, you're doing this amazing thing um, and it's of your own creation. It's your own concept and it's your own, you, you've kind of reflected on how you overcame a lot of your early uh, obstacles and you've said, uh, here's how I've done it, the, this grit model, and this is where I'm gonna point it. 
And I, and, I, and I wonder if you can share anything about how, how you found this purpose and meaning in your life. Because really being a rocket scientist is rad. But like you, it seems like you, you have so much more meaning and drive and purpose from your adventure athlete uh, process. So from anywhere in there, feel yeah. free to respond for anything. No, else. absolutely. And, and again, it, it, it's about that journey and understanding that this is a lifelong practice. And and to expect that. And so everything that I pushed myself through younger finally led to then, you know, uh, actually working in engineering or taking on these mountains to finally you practice it enough and you get to a point where you feel unstoppable in the fact of I'm going to I will try I will try everything i will whatever i want to do i will try it and if i don't make it that's okay and i'll either reevaluate and get going again or whatever it is and being and you get better and better at that and, and to the point that i don't feel i ever fail i never fail because to me failing is doing something you knowingly goes against your gut that's the only failure to me if you're trying that is not failing you're just learning. You're getting better. And so when you can get, you push yourself out of your comfort zone in the beginning and practice one step out every time, it gets easier and easier until literally to the point I'm like, I'll go try whatever. People are like, oh my gosh, what if you don't know how to do it? I'm like, I don't care. And it, it becomes that easy. You, you become comfortable with being uncomfortable. It is a natural feeling. You think about climbing a mountain for the first time. And I just took a person who had never been on a 14er. And for everyone in Colorado knows, we, you know, we've got 58 peaks over 14,000 feet. The whole way up, she's like, well, my, my heart is racing or I'm breathing a little. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, you are normal. We take her pulse. I'm like, you're gonna do this when you come back down the next time you go to do it, you're gonna understand this is what your body feels like and you're gonna be easier with it. And then the next time and the next time. And you need to be aware, having the awareness of that and witnessing what is happening with yourself and pushing through it anyway to a safe amount, of course. But then knowing that next time I'm going to be stronger with this. And it's funny, you, you I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, recovery from addiction. And my sister said I could share with everyone that, you know, she has been in recovery for 17 years. And I remember when she got clean, it was the same thing. She had no idea what to do her, with herself. She started knitting. I swear to God, she was knitting a scarf every day for like two months straight. <laughs> she didn't know what to do. Then she went into, she actually started running like 5Ks. She was, she was obsessing with that. And then she obsessed with Diet Coke. And then she obsessed, and it was her like, she's like, where's my rock? I can't hide, her, hide under my rock anymore. And And, you know, watching her be comfortable with who she is. Now tear up. She is my biggest inspiration. That girl mm -hmm. is so amazing to me. And she put in the work and she works every day to remain in recovery. And she is, and she'll always, you know, it's gotta be kind of hard to be my sister probably. Because <laughs> I have so much. <laughs> yeah, and she'll be like, she'll just be like, I don't really do anything. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you stay clean every day, dude. Yeah. She blows my mind away. She, her strength and she doesn't give herself credit. 
And, and I have to, I mean, I tell her all the time what an inspiration she is to me, but even those small, tiny steps, that is her Everest. And she needs to be so proud of herself. And I'm so proud of her. And it's, it's making that choice every day to push yourself one more step out of your comfort zone until again, you have such ease with being vulnerable and being uncomfortable. I thrive in it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, 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 I feel like I would be remiss in this moment not to share with you, you know, directly, Megan, a, a hiking story that uh, between Jason and I. So we were doing outside Telluride, of course, the uh, El Diente Mount Wilson Traverse, uh, one of the uh, you know higher-ranking traverses in the state of Colorado, the Great Traverses, as they call it. And the, the climb up to El Diente, across the traverse, all those things were beautiful and spiritual. We're coming down Mount Wilson. We put on crampons. We're on a pretty steep slope. And um, you know, my friend here, Jason, a little bit more uh, abled in that moment to navigate you know, the, the snow sliding because it's melting and all that sort of stuff. I step out and it starts sliding. Jason's probably you know, 150 yards below me now at this point. And I'm scared, and uh, I don't know what to do, and I'm trying not to panic, and I'm getting mad in my head because these guys are moving ahead of me. And ultimately, I, I, I say, you know what, Brandon, you got to do this. I step out onto the snow with my crampons. It slides. I get scared again. I lift up my other leg, and I jam the crampon right into my calf in that moment. And, my, and so <laughs> I fall to the side of the mountain. I'm holding onto a rock, and I can feel the crampon stuck in my calf. I'm like, dude, you just did this hard mountain, and now you're going to die over this stupid thing. <laughs> I pull it out of my leg. I can feel it leave my leg. You know, blood starts oozing out. I'm like, oh my god, did I hit an artery? I'm panicking. Well, I notice, you know, it's not too much blood, probably not an artery in that regard. And I'm, I'm yelling down. I'm like, Jason, I'm bleeding. It hurts, man. Like, I, I can't do anything. And he used way more colorful words at the time, but he, in so many words, he was like, Brandon, nobody's going to save you up there. You got to come down now. <laughs> and it just clicked in me in that moment. And what I think is important to recognize is like those words, not being as great of a climber to that point and moment as Jason provided safety. It was encouragement and allowed me to get down with some sense of confidence in a way that I had completely depleted all confidence in that moment. And I bring that story to you, you know, one to share about our own, you know, kind of hiking journeys with somebody who's a profound, you know, hiker and experiencer of the outdoors. But it, it reminds me, and you've shared so much of it already with your mom and your dad and your sister's story as well, too. I'm just curious if you can be more, you know, uh, direct with the audience about who nurtures around you what is grit, right? Who's in the background that you go to? Certainly the, the family experiences are powerful, but who else would you add to that? And um, what else would you share about the importance of those support structures around uh, a powerful philosophy like grit? I think that's such a great question because it's, you know, it, grit is definitely twofold. One of it is honing in the ownership and the accountability within yourself and being that voice of inspiration for yourself and doing all these things for yourself, but nothing is done by yourself. <laughs> you know, I think hmm. about even training for something like Everest and all of the help that I get from the boot shop here who had to help like custom, you know, do my liners so that my orthotics would fit correctly and so that I could wear these to all my orthopedic doctors, all the things I've broken and, and any strains or recovery I need to get me to a place where I can be there. Any friends, friends who will understand that 
Megan can't come to this thing today because she's training on the mountain and them understanding I need to do that. That has such value and weight of them understanding what I need to do to get to the place and not punishing me as a friend for that, that love and support. Um, Again, you know, it's really amazing. Social media, I think in a lot of ways can be horrible for some people, but it's also this beautiful thing if you look for the positivity and being able to share my journeys and then people sharing stories back, like with their little kids that suffer from learning disabilities and they're following my journey, what it means to them, that, that keeps my fire burning. Like, like I, that kind of support is absolutely amazing people just reaching out to each other and offering a word of kindness that goes so far and so much of of grit is toughing through you know hard things but i think it goes back maybe into that maybe a little tenacity a little integrity but it's also appreciating every you know every tiny little bit that someone has to give and giving back and i i think i'm totally going on a tangent with that but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and what you were saying, um, saying about uh, stabbing your leg on the mountain, I mean, that that's an important thing, too. I, I love that saying is I'm like, uh, no one's coming to save you. you got to get yourself off this mountain. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and, and, I love. It was all I love. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of an important thing. I think my mom taught me when I was really young, too. And she's like, sweetie, I hope that I'll always be here for you. But at the end of the day. You've got to count on yourself and you've got to be able to get up and get yourself out of here. But don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it and take help when it's offered. And man, this journey is so amazing, but how much better it is with others that we can connect with. And, you know, it us just having this discussion, even though we might be talking about, you know, addiction recovery or learning disabilities, we have so many parallels and all of us as human beings, we want the same things. And, and, you know, we want, we want to reach our full potentials. We want to love and we want to be loved. And these are things, amazing discussions like we're having right now that we can all connect on. And I think having the awareness of that and appreciating that also allows a lot more happiness into your life to recognizing how many people are, are, I mean, just want the same thing you do and how you can connect with them. Beautiful. Yeah, that was beautiful. And I, Megan, I'm going to be really respectful of your time. And I think we're coming up on in here. So I, I want you to take a minute and um, talk specifically about your uh, website and how to kind of support you and your movement and all that. I'd love to hear that. And I'm sure we'll post links uh, when we uh, do this as well. So Oh, that'd be amazing. So yeah, so I yeah. have a website and it's G-G-R-I-T. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram, same thing, at G-G-R-I-T uh, on Facebook. But the great thing is I will share um, my training. I share a lot. This is actually October is Dyslexia Awareness Month. So I'm, I'm sharing a lot on that right now. And I will share just the struggles I go through every day and how with grit I take myself to the next step forward. Um, there's a lot of fun videos for hiking, but then when I actually go on my journeys around the world to do these expeditions, I take you with me. And I love, you know, send me comments, whatever you're thinking. 
um, love, love to respond whenever I can. And, um, I do of course have some GoFundMe's that you can get to. Um, I raise money for my expeditions, but the net proceeds go to, uh, learning disabilities associations, um, because I really am trying to give back to what gave me my superpower and help people get diagnosed early, uh, with learning disabilities so that then they can work on, you know, um, taking their next steps and, and embracing everything they are. So awesome. follow, follow my journey like, along. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, please do follow. I, I have, I followed you for a couple of years now. I watched the Everest, uh, Everest. I didn't exactly know why you turned around. Uh, it makes sense uh, with the COVID and, um, I just really, uh, your whole story and, and where this is all going, I think it's really exciting and, and, um, for those watching, please follow Megan on, on Instagram and, and, uh, please contribute to the GoFundMe as well. Um, so with that, we will end this episode of finding peaks. You can also follow peaks, uh, on Instagram. We have a TikTok account as well. Um, other things, uh, please find us on Apple as well. If you want to, uh, just listen to the audio and, uh, with that, uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us as well. And, uh, with that, we will sign off. Yeah.